0: If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 17th and chapter of the Gospel of John as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you'll remember that Jesus has been ministering to his disciples there at the Last Supper. And, and they have stood up and departed. They are heading over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and so chapters 15 and 16 were, were as they were concluding the meal and, and in motion. And, and we see that Jesus now has uttered his final words, the last words recorded there in the 16th chapter these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace and in the world you will have in tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world these were his final words Uh, now they were words of comfort they were words of peace they were words of encouragement be of good cheer and it's interesting to me because Jesus is now headed over to be betrayed. He is headed over to the garden of Gethsemane and and yet what is he saying to the disciples? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world and so he points them to his ultimate victory over sin over death, over the grave. Now, they are about to head right over a cliff. They have no idea what is about to happen, that Jesus is going to be arrested, that he is going to be beaten, scourged, and that ultimately, before a few hours have passed, in the following morning, Jesus, by 9 a.m., is going to be hanging on a cross and crucified. And as Jesus is heading to his crucifixion, what is he saying to the disciples? Be of good cheer be of good cheer. I have overcome the the world. And and we see how he is pointing them past the trials to the ultimate victory. I think it's important in our own lives that we can get caught up in the minutiae of the trials that we are going through instead of looking at the big picture. And, and I don't know if you've finished the book or not, but God wins uh, in the end. And, you know, ultimately we are going to spend eternity in his presence. You know, Paul will say that It's not even worthy for us to mention the difficulties of this life in comparison to what God has prepared for us. And and so as Jesus has now concluded ministering to them, he tells them, get your eyes up, take the long view, uh, look at the victory, and look at where we are headed together. And all of this as he's about to undergo his sacrifice uh, there upon the cross. And so Jesus says, now finished putting the final touches on the disciples here in his earthly ministry and and he concludes now his time with them in what in prayer taking now and lifting up his voice to the father and in, in front of the disciples that that they might hear he's going to pray really in three parts he's going to pray first for himself then he is going to pray for the disciples and then the final portion he is going to pray for all believers believers that are going to come the foundation now of the of the beginning of the church has been laid he is the cornerstone and now the apostles have been prepared and and through them now in the preaching of the word of god the record of the gospels is going to be recorded and and faith is now going to go forth and and so we watch as Jesus prays it is interesting to me to watch Jesus pray, to see what he is praying for, what he is asking, how he asks. And and so to look at this 17th chapter that we have before us, which if you like the words that are in red in your Bible, then you're going to love this chapter because it is just solid red. It is just Jesus's words. and And we are kind of, you know, allowed to step in with the disciples to to hear Jesus and praying now prayer is is intimate and there is something about lifting up your voice and to God and and to be praying for somebody is is an amazing thing but to pray with somebody when someone prays for you when you hear them lifting up their voice to the creator God of the universe to intercede on, on your behalf. There is something that is, that is unifying about that. There is something that is amazing. And, and here we are watching as Jesus now is going to engage uh, his heavenly Father here uh, in this prayer. So let's look at this 17th chapter. We begin in verse 1, and it says, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And so Jesus begins, he lifts his eyes up to heaven. Now, so oftentimes that's the opposite of the way that we pray. So oftentimes we bow our heads and close our eyes. Here we see that Jesus had his eyes open and that his head wasn't bowed, but that his eyes were lifted up to heaven. And so we see the posture of Jesus's prayer here. And and he speaks now these words. And so John records the the prayer, brought to remembrance, no doubt, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus begins his prayer time by saying, Father, the hour has come. Now, so often in Jesus' ministry, he would say that my hour has not yet come. We remember that it is his first miracle, at the wedding of Cana, and when his mother comes to him and, and tells him that they are in trouble, that they have a difficulty, he says, my hour has not yet come. We see throughout Jesus' ministry the reference to that. But, but now he says that his hour has come to glorify your son. And this this request to glorify him includes the sustaining of Jesus in his suffering. As he is about to head to the cross, he is asking now for that, that assistance, that aid, that help to be able to endure the will of God that is placed in front of him. We know as believers that our job is to do the will of God in our lives. And, and so oftentimes we can think of that in, in terms of works and in feeding the poor and clothing the cold and, and doing these types of things. But the will of God sometimes involves great sacrifice and great suffering. Here we see the will of God for Jesus was the cross was to undergo having a crown of thorns smashed into his head and to be mercilessly scourged and then to be nailed onto a cross. And Jesus here is saying that as he is offering himself up for that sacrifice to to glorify God, he is asking for that sustaining power. Oftentimes we need that sustaining power in our life to accomplish the will of God. And here we see the sacrificial love of Jesus. Glorify me says that your son also may glorify you. And so the act of redemption, our salvation, brings glory to God. As you have given him authority, verse 2, over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. in this eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ to whom you've sent. And so, uh, here again, We see that he has come to, what, bring us eternal life, to set up the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is the eternal kingdom. That means that we are connected to God through all eternity. And and he says here that that you may know the only true God. We see here that that the Bible tells us that the gods of the heathens are, are many. But there is only one true living God. And here we see that we have eternal life through Christ. And In verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world uh, was. I have Glorified you on earth, and Jesus says. I have brought you glory, which now assumes his obedience all the way unto death. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And so, and here Jesus comes now and, and prays. He has, he has taken and lived out that perfect life of submission and surrender. And for these last three years, his public ministry, the, the first 30 years, he lived just in faithful obscurity. And now these final three years preparing the disciples, taking and revealing himself to the nation, offering himself as the Messiah, and now ultimately offering himself up as the Lamb of God. I have finished the work which you have given me to do and even though the cross was uh, in future yet it was a certainty here glorify me together with yourself with the glory which i had with you before the world was as jesus knows that he is going to go through the final leg now of his ministry the sheep Before its shearers, not lifting up its voice, surrendering and submitting it now to the cross and to crucifixion. But then knowing ultimately that he is going to rise again, that he is going to conquer death in the grave and that he is going to ascend back to heaven again. There came that moment in time when Jesus disrobed himself of all of his glory there that he had with the Father before time even was, and, and in the incarnation he departs from that glory and now veils himself uh, in humanity and and lives out these years but where is he headed he is headed back to the glory that he had before he had departed and and now he has his eyes on uh, on being reunited uh, with the father in that in glory we know that Jesus, after he ascended, is seated at the right hand of the Father there. And, and so as he is with his disciples and he is about to head into his agony, what does he do? He puts his eyes on the prize. He takes now and, and looks to where he is headed. And we see that he prays now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world uh, even less. We see that Jesus uh, now turns his attention to the disciples uh, here, and we are, see that he is going to pray for them. We see that Jesus was constantly praying for his disciples, and we see that he prayed before he chose them. He prayed for them during and throughout his ministry here. We see that he prays for them right to here. We see that he prays for them later in heaven. Where the Bible tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making constant intercession for us. And and so the intercessory prayers uh, of Jesus uh, on the disciples' behalf. And and so, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept uh, your word. And so, Jesus here says that, I have manifested your name, speaking to the Father, I have manifested your name to these men. Now, to manifest the name doesn't mean that he simply taught them about uh, the character of God. The the name of God uh, in Hebrew refers to, and in the context, uh, refers to the character of God. To have a a good name means to have good character. And so uh, here we see that I have manifested your character to these men. So he taught them about the character of God, but he did far more than just teach them about the character of God. He revealed it. He lived it. He modeled it. You remember to to see me, Jesus would say, you have seen the Father. Why? Because he modeled the character of God. Now, Part of our sanctification in our life is God is changing our character. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God is concerned with your character that your character may reflect God's character. And so we are to be honest because God is honest and true. We're to be loving because God is loving. We are to be generous because God is generous. We're to love sacrificially because God loves sacrificially and and so the character of god is to be on display to the world through us now when we got saved that was not our character Our character was far different than than the character of God. And so the Holy Spirit is continuing to do a work in your life that your character now continues to look more and more like the character of Christ. Now, in Christ, his character is the character of God. There There was no sanctification that needed to happen. He is the express image of the invisible God. And so here, as he is praying for the disciples, he says, I have manifested your name i have manifested i have demonstrated uh, your character to these uh, men he says they were yours you gave them to me and they have kept uh, your word we see that jesus praised the disciples here for responding to the message of salvation in christ the disciples weren't perfect but they had the right commitment to christ he says in verse 7 Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so the words which Christ gave First of all, they received them, just as we receive the words uh, of Christ. The words that Jesus uh, has come to give us, the revelation of God. We receive those words. He says, and and they have known surely, they have known that I came forth uh, from you. They did not understand everything, but they did believe that Jesus had come from heaven. And they believed that you sent me. He says, verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And so Jesus here is praying for these apostles, these 11 that were with him as he journeyed over to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I'm not praying for the world. We see that his focus now was on these uh, disciples uh, that you have given me. You'll remember that Jesus was in prayer with the Father before the selection of the apostles. And those apostles, he Called to them, he invited them to come and to follow after him. They didn't choose Jesus; Jesus chose them, and and Jesus chose them as he was directed by the Father. He did all things underneath, submitted to the will of the Father, and so uh, he says in verse ten: "And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them." And and so. We bring glory to Christ uh, as we live out and follow the great commission that he has given to us. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are, So we see here that Jesus declares, I am no longer in the world, that his earthly ministry is coming to an end here. But he is concerned about the protection now of the disciples, and he is concerned about your protection as well. He would protect them from sin and the enmity of the world by the power of his name. Keep through your name those whom you have given me. And While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. And Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." Here Jesus declares that while I was with them, I kept them. He kept them safe. He kept them protected. He was the good shepherd that watched over the flock. Anytime they had a problem, Jesus stepped to the forefront and he took care of that problem. But now Jesus was going to be departing. He wasn't going to be there any longer to watch over them every step of the way and to take and to help them. And, And so here, what is he doing? He's committing them into the providential care of the Father. As the good shepherd, Jesus took care of the flock that had been entrusted to him by the Father. The end of each night as the flock would come in through the gate to the sheepfold at night, the the shepherd would count them off and make sure that, all the sheep that had come out with him that day, that all of them had returned. And, and if there was one that was lost, that shepherd then would leave the 99 and he would go to look for the one lost sheep that had not returned with the flock. Jesus had been given this flock of disciples. And, and he says, and I have been faithful to to count them off and to keep them safe. There's only one that's missing. He says, that's the son of perdition. That's uh, referencing now, of course, Judas, who was not with the eleven, but right then, what was he doing? He was in the act of betraying Jesus and and organizing the soldiers that were going to come and arrest Jesus there in the garden. But once again, what did he say? But that one that I lost, I lost that according to the Scriptures and fulfillment of the Scriptures and uh, that the son of perdition now uh, would fulfill fulfill the the Scriptures. And and so, verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled uh, in themselves. And, And so, as Christ is coming, He is beginning the journey home here. He says that I speak these things in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled uh, in themselves. And and so here again, what do we see? We see the desire of God for us to experience joy here in this life. And, and Jesus says that my joy might be fulfilled uh, in you. We see that God's desire isn't to subtract joy, but to multiply joy in our lives. The world, our flesh, and and Satan, they would tell us uh, otherwise, but God wants joy fulfilled uh, in our lives. And how do we have that fulfillment of joy? Well, the joy that Jesus is speaking about is the joy that you have when you're obedient to the will of God. When you do what God wants you to do, you are blessed. There is a joy that you have of just simply obeying. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that joy of obedience as he now is obedient even unto death. And so, that we might now experience the the joy of obedience, that contentment that we have in being on the same page, being united with God and working together in unity with God. I have given them your word, verse 14, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not uh, of the world. And, And so... Here again, the minute that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you became at odds with the world that was around you. The world invites you to play the way and the fashion and the style that the world plays. And Christ is calling us uh, out of the world to sanctify and to be set apart, to be separated uh, from. And so there is an enmity. You see the, the viciousness with which the world hates God and how it wants nothing to do with God. It says, I will not have you to rule over me. I will answer to nobody. I will exalt myself, and I will do whatever it is that that I please, what I want to do. And then you see they make themselves their own God so that they are accountable and answerable to nobody. Don't judge me. You're not the boss of me. And they have no authority over them whatsoever. But here we see that we have a loving Father. And, and the minute that we came into relationship with our loving Father through Christ, we, we now became enmity enmity with the world that is uh, around uh, us. And, and so the world system has hated them, it says, because they, they hated me. I do not pray, verse 15, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And and so here it's interesting that Jesus says, I'm not praying that you would withdraw them from the world. God's purpose for us is to be salt and light in the world. I've often thought, wouldn't it be amazing if if we all moved as Christians to like this giant island, we all live, just Christians only. It's a Christian island. And, you know, we could just love one another and just live that out. And that that would just be so awesome to just be surrounded by and Christians. But we see that here, Jesus says, I'm not, I am not praying that you would take them. Out of the world. Why? Because you see, we are the salt and the light of the world. And that salt and light, God has sprinkled it throughout the entire Earth. Now, if you took all the salt and all the light and put it in one spot on the earth, then the rest of the earth would be in darkness uh, now. And, uh, and so that, that is not, we are not called to isolate ourselves or to retreat from the world, but we have been sent into the world to be the salt and the light. So he says, I don't, I don't pray that you would withdraw them from the, the mission that they have been given, but instead I pray protection for them. As they are going to go into hostile territory, I, I pray your hand of protection would be around them. You remember how Daniel, Prophet Daniel is and taken to babylon in the captivity and and you remember that there was the the edict that was given that the king had signed that you weren't allowed to pray to any other god and and you remember that daniel now he refused to not pray to god and and so he was praying to god at his times of prayer and and it became observed and reported and he was charged with praying to the true and the living god and and the punishment for praying to God during this time period that the edict had been signed uh, was that you were to be put to death. And you remember that, that the king now had, uh, had taken to Daniel and, and it was now sorrowful to him. And, and he takes and he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And that was the, the way in which he was to be executed, that he was to be killed overnight. And, and do you remember the king didn't even sleep that night? He was so bothered, so upset by Daniel being killed by these lions. And you remember he, he goes there the next morning and, and Daniel is alive and God had shut up the mouths of the lion and kept Daniel safe, even in the face of of lions. I don't pray that you withdraw them from danger. I don't pray that you make their lives uh, easier. I pray that you protect them. There is a protection that God has uh, about you, a supernatural protection, a a hedge. You remember Job and the story of Job and how Satan talks to God and tells God that Job doesn't really love you. He only loves you because of all the blessings that you give him. He's so blessed. You've hedged him around that I can't bother him at all. And look it, you've just lavished him with blessings. Anybody would love you if you just spoiled them like that. He doesn't love you, he just loves the gifts that you're giving him. If you let me take away some of the gifts that you're giving him, he will curse you. He will turn on you. And and so God takes the hedge of protection and, and he withdraws it a bit and he gives access. He allows Satan to have more access to Job and he smites him with his health and boils and, and still Job doesn't doesn't falter in his faith. And, and Satan comes back and says, if you let me have more access to him, if if you widen out that hedge he'll curse you you wait and see and and you remember that God opens up the hedge and gives him more access and all of his children are killed and uh, in a terrible calamity and uh, and still Job does not falter and he says if you if you let me attack him further he he will he will break and and God expands that hedge, moves it back further, and all of his wealth is taken away in a single day. His physical health, his family, his children prosperity all the blessings that God had hedged him in with were now removed and and we see that Job's faith is tried through these incredible trials and and then he sends him three of the worst friends you could ever have in your entire life that uh, that instead of encouraging him they condemn him and and still we see that that his faith holds. You see, there's a hedge of protection that God puts around each and every one of us. And and God has hedged you in in your life. And he does not allow us to be tempted beyond our capacity to be able to withstand it. And, and so here is Jesus is praying for his disciples that, that you should keep them from the, the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not uh, of the world. They are a part of the kingdom of God. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so here we see, uh, sanctify them, wash them, and keep them clean and pure. Your word is truth. The dynamic behind sanctification is truth, is the word of God. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so the great commission now is going to be spoken before Jesus ascends uh, into heaven. He is commissioned in, in sending them. He will say later, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make what? disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, as you sent me into the world, Jesus was a missionary into this world from heaven. He sends us as missionaries into the world in which uh, we live in. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so the truth of God is what sets us apart. And now these final six verses, we see that Jesus moves to the third part of his prayer. The first part of his prayer was for himself. The second part of his prayer was for the disciples. And now he is going to pray for all future believers. He says in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I want you to know that you are in this verse right here. If you never knew that you were in the Bible, you're in the Bible. You are right here in this verse. Uh, I pray for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he was praying for you before he went to the cross. Think about that for a moment. He was praying for you and he was praying for me before he goes over into the Garden of Gethsemane. And so, I pray for those who believe in me through their word that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so, others are going to hear and to see the transformation in our lives and. And they also now will believe through our testimony. Verse 22, In the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so we see the twofold witness into the world that, that the Father has sent the Son, that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, and that the Father loves us, loves his children, just as he loves Jesus. Father, verse 24 I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so we see this promise of unity there in heaven when we are going to behold the the glory of Christ. You'll remember at the transfiguration how Peter, James, and John got to see the glory of the Lord there. And, And one day each and every one of us is going to see the glory of the Lord. Oh, righteous Father, verse 25, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so that the love with which you have loved me. May be in them. We see that the prayer concludes with uh, with Christian living. Here that Jesus and His love is indwelling in us, and and Jesus's strong desire and prayer for all of us is, is that we would be kept, and we would be sanctified, and that we would be unified. And that's where I really want to pause as we close our study on this chapter here with verse 25 when he says, O oh, righteous Father, we, we see Jesus with eyes uh, lifted up and we see him praying, and, and he is praying for us. And I, I want us to just take one moment to pause and to know that Jesus is praying for us. We know that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we see that there were three things that that he prayed uh, for us uh, as believers. He prayed for our protection, he prayed for our oneness, for our unity, and he prayed for our sanctification. And those were the, the three prayers that, that he was praying back then, and those are the prayers that he is praying today. First of all, he is praying for your protection. And so. God is for you, and he has hedged the, the enemy against uh, any attack uh, of the enemy against you. And, and, and know this, that there is a filter around your life. It can feel like things are out of control. It can feel like there's great turmoil and great difficulty and that, and, and that our safety and our security is threatened as we go through trials. Here's what I want you to know. Every single trial that you have gone through and you will go through has been approved by the Lord. The Lord looked at your faith. He looked at where you are in relationship with him. And and he goes, no, no, no. Okay, I'll allow this trial in that person's life because what? I can use that trial for good. Any trial that would collapse us beyond our capacity, that would harm us, that we would be unable to overcome, he doesn't allow that into our life. And so the prayer for protection, that knowing that God has said to you that this trial is not too hard for you, I think of the way a a third grader looks at their homework and how it is just so hard. Third grade math for a third grader is terrible. But the fifth grader looks at the third grader's homework and goes, oh, that's simple. I wish that that was was my homework. But to the fifth grader, they've got their fifth grader math homework, and that's as impossible for the fifth grader as as the third grader's math problem. The Lord knows exactly what grade you're in, and He knows exactly what you're capable of, and He doesn't give a a third-grader, fifth-grader homework. He allows you to go through trials, what? that, That your faith can grow, that you can draw nearer to Him, that you can overcome, and that you can be victorious. And so knowing that evil has its limits, that... God is not allowing the world to just careen out of control. It can look like that and to us, but no, just as with the rivers, he says, here are your banks with the oceans. He says, the shore is here and no farther may you come. So also does God have evil contained within this world. And he allows, what he allows into your life, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to continue to grow your faith. I think so oftentimes we view trials and tribulations in terms of our happiness instead of our faith. You see, we're concerned with being happy. God is concerned with the quality of your faith, knowing that your connection to Him is the most important thing that there is in the world And trials and tribulations press us in. They purify us. They strengthen that connection. And that connection, listen, is the avenue through which all blessings flow in our life. He's more concerned not with your immediate condition, but in strengthening your faith so that more blessings can come through your faith. Now that process of strengthening and broadening your faith... It's painful at times. It's stretching. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But as he broadens the avenue, he is able to pass more blessings uh, into your life. And so he will use trials and tribulations and hardships to build uh, your faith. Exercise is not fun when you're in the gym. There's the famous, famous line, no pain, what? No gain, no pain, no gain, that the gain comes through an uncomfortable process. Well, that's true of your faith also. And so God is interested and concerned with your faith. How is your faith doing today? How strong or how weak is your faith? Is it faltering right now or, uh, or is it being strengthened? Are you able to trust him through everything that is going on in our uh, world around us? Uh, he is taking and purifying and strengthening your connection to him. And he has a hedge of protection around you that he will not allow more than you're able to bear. Jesus is praying even now. At the right hand of the Father, and He is praying protection over you. And so that is the first uh, of His prayers. We see that Jesus was praying for oneness I and me, and you and Him, and we in they, and they. And so He is praying, you see, for this unity, unity, unity. I want you to know that God is about connecting and uniting. I want you to know that Satan is about dividing and isolating. Satan wants to destroy, listen, every significant relationship that's in your life. He wants to destroy every relationship that's in your life. If he could, he would put you into solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is the worst punishment that we know here upon earth. To isolate people from people. We were made to flock together. We were made to be socially interacted and connected with one another. Satan wants to break all of that down. He wants to destroy it. The first relationship he wants to break down is your relationship with Christ. And then after that, every other relationship that there is, we see that he seeks to divide marriages and and to have people to divorce. He seeks to break apart and to destroy families, to destroy churches, to destroy community. We see this is the, the enemy. But what do we see Christ praying for? Oneness, 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 oneness. We see over and over the Bible talks us about unity about resolving conflict. And, and we see in Matthew chapter 18, it says that if somebody has something against you, go to them, talk to them, resolve it, get to unity. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that if you hear that somebody has something against you, go to them and fix that and correct that and communicate with them. Why? For unity. We see throughout the New Testament over and over as Paul's writing to the churches that he's talking about division in the church. It's the natural, carnal, aspect of humanity we we start to judge each other we start to compare ourselves to each other even in the church it was happening you remember they're like i'm of paul i'm of cephas you know i'm of this group i'm of that group and and they were all thinking that they were better than than each other and division was uh, spreading throughout the church And, and he says we're we're all one in christ Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to Christ uh, uh, only and and not to anybody else. Less pride uh, and being puffed up and it creates division. So we see that what is Jesus praying here? Unity. Oneness, 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 oneness. Blessed are the peacemakers, we see. And so he calls us, as much as depends on you, be on peaceable terms with all people. And so we are to work out our conflicts. We are to work out our, our marital differences. We are to battle through sin and the flesh and the world to get to this place of oneness. And finally, we see that he prays for our sanctification. Our Sanctify, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You see, sanctification is how polluted our soul is. That's, that's really what it's about. And, and so when, when we are saved, we're called out of the pollution of this world. And, and pollution really just means sin. Sin pollutes our soul, but but the aspect that it has is, is, is that it separates us from God. It, it breaks our relationship down with God. It impairs uh, that relationship. And so that, that, that conduit uh, of blessing, our faith and our intimacy with Christ is dependent uh, upon that abiding relationship. And you remember that if you abide, Jesus says, you're going to bear much fruit. But if you're off and on, if you're starting and stopping, if you have a foot in the world and you have a foot in the kingdom of God, then then you're never going to be able to make that steady progress uh, in your faith and the fruitfulness and the abundance of, of fruitfulness. Sanctify, the word of God sanctifies us. What does that mean? Well, without the word of God, how do we know what's right and wrong? The world, the world wants to define right and wrong. The world wants to define morality and, and what is healthy and natural and normal and, and what we are to accept and to not accept. And so the, the world uh, has its beliefs. And, and oftentimes we see how much sin there is in the beliefs uh, of the world. And so we are sanctified when we are called out from the world. And God is the one that has told us what is right and what is wrong. And so as we now take and withdraw from the things that pollute our soul, then we have a deeper, more abiding relationship with Christ. And and it is the Word of God that teaches us what pollution looks like what it looks like, and to avoid that. And so here we see Jesus praying. He's at the right hand of the Father. Know this. He is for you. He is praying for your protection. He is praying for unity in your life. And He is praying also for your sanctification that we might be able to glorify Him and to bear much fruit in our lives. That, what, that our joy may be multiplied to the joy of Christ in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And we ask, God, that you would continue to teach us, instruct us, and lead us into truth. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for praying for our unity. And Lord, thank you for praying for our sanctification. Bless us now, this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.